And now we're speaking with Rick Sterling. He is a journalist in the San Francisco Bay Area. In fact, he was one of the founders of research into the White Helmets and other issues concerning propaganda around the Syrian war. He's actually exposed quite a number of media deceptions and government propaganda efforts during the course of this whole conflict. And he's also an expatriate Canadian. Is that the right word? Rick, you, you are from Vancouver, so you are dialing us now back to Canada. Is that right? And that is correct, Brendan. Uh, I grew up in Vancouver and uh, in my mid-20s came to the U.S. for a brief stint in New York City. And then one thing led to another. I married an American and uh, had kids and ended up staying here. But uh, uh, but uh, I will you'll always have Canada in my heart. That'll do it. Getting married and all that, that'll keep you in a country and well, how are you holding up with the whole pandemic situation? Well, it's, um, you know, they've got the stay at home. It's it's not, um, frankly, it's not too bad. I work, uh, I work from my home and uh, I'm on the computer a lot for exercise. I get out to the tennis courts. And uh, one thing you can say about California or Northern California is the weather is great. So, uh, so it's not, uh, it's not too bad. Well, it looks like you're being very responsible. You are actually our first guest of the season because we got knocked out by the COVID for the spring season. We had no spring season, but uh, we're eager to get back into things. And I should let our listeners know we actually are very lucky to have Rick because of the enormous amount of work he's done um, for the Syria Solidarity Movement, for Syria itself, and for the U.S. Uh, and American public in general. Um, in exposing all of these deceptions that have been put forward to try to justify this 10-year-long failing or failed war on Syria. Um, I mean, th maybe that's a good place to start, um, because as you point out in the article, and for those just tuning in, um, the article we're discussing is called Caesar Tries to Suffocate 17 Million Syrians by Rick Sterling. It's from June 19, a few days ago, and this particular article is published in the American Herald Tribune, where I'm looking at it, and probably a, a lot of other outlets. So it's going to be very easy to find Rick's article. Anyway, as I was saying, the United States has been trying to destroy Syria militarily, or at least force its will in Syria using military force since about 2011 or so. But with that failing, they've intensified this sanction strategy. I'm wondering, can we talk about the sanctions that existed before this year? Because it's a big deal. I mean, it's not like the pre-existing sanctions were weak. The ones that were already in place were pretty big. So can you tell us about those sanctions that already existed? Well, the, the first time Syria was, uh, uh, the U.S. imposed sanctions on, on Syria goes back to 1979. Uh, after Syria refused to, um, uh, refused to comply with the U.S. and uh, their demands to come to an agreement with Israel, uh, and uh, when well, Enmar Sadat in, in Egypt was coming to an agreement, the, the U.S. and um, wanted uh, Syria to come to an agreement and Syria refused because of uh, Israel, Israeli, uh, uh, their treatment of the Palestinians. 
as well as their occupation of, of the Golan Heights. Um, uh, in other words, part of Syria, uh, Israel uh, claimed. So, uh, and then in uh, later on, when the when the uh, the conflict began in in twenty eleven, and there's a lot of evidence that the U.S. and other Western forces were immediately supporting uh, opposition elements, and while there were peaceful elements, or there were uh, peaceful uh, uh, part of the uprising, there was also violence. In the first weekend in March of 2011, seven um, security officers were killed, um, and the in a, a civil administration building in Dara was was torched. So the notion that the uprising was only peaceful at, at the beginning is is not uh, is not accurate. Uh, later on in 2011, as soon as the uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi uh, government in Libya was uh, was uh, overthrown again by Western supported um, opposition elements, jihadi elements. In fact, uh, the U.S. started uh, uh, seizing the arsenal, the military arsenal of Libya, and shipping it to to Syria uh, to support the armed insurrection there. This was all done clandestinely, but was revealed. Uh, in by a uh, by the in the in the course of the Benghazi hearings in U.S. Senate, one of the very useful uh, things that came out of that hearing was a Defense Intelligence Agency report, which confirmed that the U.S. was doing that. In other words, from the from the fall October and November of 2011, as early as that, the U.S. was shipping uh, weapons and mortars and and other uh, military hardware uh, to uh, the uh, uh, opposition forces in Syria. So it goes back from there, and then it uh, they played a game where Saudi Arabia and Qatar, the Gulf monarchies, which you know again you can look at the fraud involved here. Here you have two despotic regimes, uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, that are supposedly. Uh, supposed to be, supposedly promoting democracy in Syria. Well, there's something that immediately sounds fishy there. They were sending weapons, massive amounts of weapons, and they were also funding the opposition and funding a a media propaganda campaign uh, in in uh, uh, in uh, collaboration with with the Western states, U.S., U.K., France, and and so forth. You know, so that's, <laughs> I'm sorry, I got to interrupt. Uh, you uh, brought up something, uh, a very good point that brings back a memory for me. Uh, you mentioned uh, this game that was being played by Qatar and Saudi Arabia uh, talking about mm -hmm. democracy in Syria. And that, mm -hmm. that amuses me so much because I remember a lot of people were pushing Al Jazeera on us, telling us, oh, you got to, you should repost this article from Al Jazeera. They're so progressive and so great. And of course, they're a mouthpiece for Qatar and the Qatari mm -hmm. monarchy. And I was reading articles in Al Jazeera saying, oh, look at this, this election in Iran. There's problems in this election. And, you know, we think it's anti-democratic. And I'm thinking, where's the election uh, for the emir of Qatar? Where's the election mm -hmm. for Qatar's government? So they're out slamming Syria and Iran and talking about democracy. <laughs> and it's from a monarchy. It's from yes. a hereditary yeah. monarchy, along with its other hereditary monarchies that were helping to destabilize Syria. So 
Yes, there was a, a military situation from the beginning in which the United States and its proxy powers were sending actual military arms into Syria to arm militant groups that had been attacking police stations. So you have a foreign-backed insurgency. And, of course, we know that has not succeeded at this point in toppling the government, despite all the noise that's been made about it. And I'm getting the sense from you that the sanctions that had existed against Syria, and these are the U.S. enforced sanctions since, you know, the late 70s at least, they exist because Syria hasn't been playing ball in the sense it, it's not owned by the United States like the Saudis are or Qatar. So is that why they're hostile? They want Syria to be another one of these, you know, countries that doesn't have independence? Yes, at, at various times the West has pressured Syria uh, and it basically it boils down to Syria's uh, claiming its right to independence and making its own decisions for the benefit of the Syrian people. But that's what it really revolves around, whether they, they can choose to choose their own path. It's a semi-socialist country. They want to be friends with the West. They also want to be friends with the East. Um, Syria has, uh, as a semi-socialist country, it has long-standing ties to the Soviet Union and now now Russia. Yes. When people can get further background from reading Rick Sterling's articles, uh, in fact, your article that we're talking about, Caesar Tries to Suffocate 17 Million Syrians, um, actually links to one of your older articles about Caesar itself uh, that you wrote in 2016. So we'll get to that. Um, uh, basically, they seem to be using what they're calling a Caesar Act to justify more sanctions on Syria. So, as you mm -hmm. point out, you know, the military situation that we've talked about has not taken out the government of Syria. And so mm -hmm. they're trying to squeeze Syria harder. And I understand it. it's having an effect, and it, they are squeezing harder. So I guess maybe you can start by telling us what is this, this Caesar Act, and what is the Caesar that they're referring to? Yeah, well, the Caesar Act is uh, is an act of uh, of Congress uh, that was enacted just uh, ten days ago. Um, that is buried within the National Defense Authorization of the U.S. The, it was passed at the at the end of 2019, six months ago, and it and it had a six month um, uh, time frame under which all of the all of the measures and uh, had to be enacted. So that's why it's it's um, it was officially in place. Uh, th I think it was June seventeenth. Now, so this has been in the works for several years. In fact, Elliot Engel, um, the uh, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, has been been trying to implement this as a separate resolution for several years. He wasn't successful, so they decided to just bury it within the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, uh, of, uh, of, of this year. And that, um, but what it does is it, it the, the connection to Caesar is Caesar was a very successful propaganda campaign that rolled out in 2014, in February of 2014. Um, they uh, they they brought in. This was funded by Qatar, the Christian Science Monitor. Even right out right out of the gates, they said uh, they were they were skeptical about this. 
Uh, Caesar was uh, supposedly an anonymous uh, uh, military photographer for the Syrian government, and he brought a trove of photographs, which which they claimed proved that the Syrian government was uh, torturing and murdering thousands of innocent civilians. Now, and Caesar was uh, given this uh, identity because supposedly he couldn't be revealed who he was. So whenever he appeared in public, it was with a hood on and with his face covered. Um, it, it immediately smelled fishy because if he was who he said he was, i.e. A, a military photographer who had defected, the Syrian government wouldn't have too much trouble tracking down who it was since they don't have, it's not like they have thousands or, or even hundreds of, of photographers. So the question was, who was he hiding from? Who was his identity being hidden from? Uh, it later turned out that, uh, when, and, and the, the trove of photographs has always been secret, and only a small subset in dozens have been revealed. And uh, so at, when, uh, when Human Rights Watch was given access to the whole set of 55,000 photo photographs, it turned out, that nearly half of them were showed the opposite of what they claimed. Rather than being uh, civilians who had been tortured by the government, it turned out to be dead Syrian soldiers and victims of car bombs and other other uh, attacks by the so-called moderate rebels. So that was one thing. But despite that, those revelations, it's amazing how the mainstream can ignore information. Um, when, if, if they want to. But despite those revelations, the Caesar campaign has been successful in demonizing the Syrian government, and that's why they use this name, this reference uh, to, uh, to Caesar when they implemented this act. Now, the other thing that's interesting is they, don't, they call it the Caesar uh, Civilian Protection Act. Uh, it's the Syria, the full name is the Syria... Uh, Caesar Civil, uh, Civilian Protection Act. Um, so, uh, of course, it's not going to protect civilians at all. It's directly damaging and hurting them because what the uh, what the Caesar Act basically does is it says that any country in the world, any government, uh, corporation, company, or individual is subject to U.S. sanction uh, restrictions on Syria and sanction, not just restrictions, but penalties. And they're going to try to implement and enforce this on, on, on companies around the world that do business with Syria. And it is, it is causing immense suffering in Syria. So rather than protecting civilians, they are, they are uh, hurting uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, hunger is becoming an issue in Syria. Right. I um, haven't been following as closely as I should be, but I understand, for example, there's been significant problems with currency in Syria. The, the, the ratio of Syrian money to U.S. dollars has um, become very problematic. Right. Uh, so what exactly is the squeeze here? There's, there's a currency problem. And what kind of things are being blocked from going into Syria? Well, you're you're right, and I'm glad you brought up the currency. Just as an example, I I, I w was in Syria last uh, September and uh, again in October, and the Syrian pound was approximately six fifty to a dollar. 
So uh, you give them $1 or $10, or give them $1, they give you 650 Syrian pounds. Now it's 2,500. So the, the, the currency has lost a quarter of its value. Um, uh, it, it, it is a quarter of its former value. Um, so it's been, it's been enormously tanked. And of course, any, any imports have, the prices of, of them have, have risen accordingly. So many things that were affordable in Syria uh, uh, nine months ago or are no longer affordable because they've gone up three or four times in price. Um, this is, and now why has this happened? Um, you know, is the U.S. involved? Well, yes, the U.S. is directly involved in, in hammering the Syrian currency. They, um, last spring, 12 months ago, Mike Pompeo went to Beirut, Lebanon, which is the main a gateway, the main trading partner for Syria is Lebanon. At one point, they were even one country, but uh, now they're, of course, independent countries. But uh, Lebanon is still the main uh, uh, trading partner for exports and imports. Mike Pompeo went there and and read the Riot Act to them, saying that they could no longer be, their banks could no longer oper- trade with Syria. And so that had a huge uh, that had a huge detrimental effect. It it means it's increasingly difficult to even uh, um, uh, do business with a with a Syrian uh, with a Syrian bank or a, a Syrian agency. In fact, it's against the law. The U.S. is backing this up by not just saying that this is a restriction, but they will penalize uh, any any company that does this and. And they they are uh, preventing uh, uh, the Syrian uh, exiles in Canada or or the U.S. or Europe. They're preventing them from sending uh, uh, remittances, support. People who are abroad want to send support to their family in Syria. They are making that impossible. Um, The currency, it's interesting to see there's a similar process that has happened in with Venezuela in that the destruction of the, the Venezuelan currency, the Bolivar, a, a major player in that process was a, uh, was a website based in Miami uh, called uh, uh, Dollar Today uh, that, um, that set a, the black market rate, or we could call it the white market rate, the, the illegal rate for currency trans- transactions, and there's a similar website called sp-today.com, which is, which is establishing the currency trading rate, the, the white market currency trading rate, the illegal trade uh, uh, in uh, Syrian dollars for, uh, for Aleppo, Idlib, and Damascus. So they are, they are establishing that to try to subvert the official transaction. Not only that, the U.S. in the the Caesar Sanctions Act, they say that the, the Syrian central bank is a money is primarily a money laundering institution, which of course it is not. But they're claiming that and asserting that so that it goes into a special category, which can never be can never be uh, uh, can never be uh, dealt with. I understand. You know, I guess there's a couple things we can take away from this. First of all, the United States seems to have set itself up as a kind of global cop, you know, a a world police 
Um, yes. Even before the end of the Cold War in, in 89, 91. And so it created all sorts of dubious institutions that sought to override the United Nations, the Security Council, and all the various post-World War II laws and institutions so that it could create its own U.S.-centric institutions. And you see that happening to Syria since at least 79. And so here you, they are labeling more recently Syrian banking and finance as money laundering. So this this makes it very difficult, as you point out. But at the same time, the U.S. has sanctioned, I don't know, they must be doing about 39, 40 countries right now. So they're, they're, they're saying you can't trade with them, you can't trade with them, you can't have money transactions with them for dozens of countries. Yes. And, you know, it, it seems that as the U.S. is being quarantined, in a sense, from the world right now because of the coronavirus situation, it's also quarantining or walling itself off from the world in terms of finance and trade because is it just going to keep adding countries to the sanctions list so that it's 40 and then 60 and then 80 i mean soon the u.s won't be able to to trade with anyone you know well i i hope it backfires uh, you know time will tell now the U.S. tried to do a. Uh, of course, the U.S. Had san- has had sanctions on Cuba since uh, 1961, um, and but Canada has uh, has rebuffed the uh, the attempts by the U.S. to to uh, for Canada to impose similarly harsh restrictions and to prevent tourism and and prevent investment. So I I hope that it's going to backfire on the U.S. And that their attempts to enforce a a really draconian set of sanctions, the, the U.S. is not going to be able to impose that on all countries of the world, including Canada. Yes, and obviously that's going to be a bigger topic for the future in terms of how this is going to shake out, because the U.S. is not giving up on the sanctions. It's doubling down in many cases on many countries. Um, The other thing that your article points out, and I guess we can close out thinking about this, is that the United States is portraying the Caesar Act as a way to help civilians in Syria. And, you know, you gave the examples of Venezuela and Cuba. And, you know, there's a there's a pattern here. They say we're helping civilians. Right. This is human rights. Yada, yada, yada. But of course, these sanctions overwhelmingly make life absolutely miserable for the general civilian population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's really had a big, big impact even in in. Uh, areas that were controlled by the by the armed opposition that have since been liberated, people want to go home. But before they can go home, electricity needs to be established, running water needs to be established, and you have to have that infra. infra you ha- need the reconstruction over the war zones. The U.S. is is and and actually the U.A. and the European Union are preventing that right now. It's so it's really an amoral uh, foreign policy, which is hurting the Syrian people. Um, in a way, it's just for spite, and in another way, maybe the U.S. is hoping that they they uh, lost the battle, but they won the war. If they can if they can force Syria to its knees, you the the ambassador for who's the the Syria envoy, and he's called Ambassador James Jeffrey. He made it explicit. There, he said his job is to make Syria a quagmire for Russia. So, 
It's something that they did with Afghanistan in the late 70s when uh, when Afghanistan was friendly to the Soviet Union and uh, had a progressive socialist uh, government. The, uh, Saudi Arabia and the U.S. sent jihadis into into Afghanistan. They destroyed the government. The the government. Uh, they uh, uh, they brought when Russia sent sent troops in to support the government. They attacked them, and you you have that you have that bloodbath and that civil conflict still going on today. Um, now it's it's nine years since Syria has has uh, has had conflict and the US is preventing reconstruction for preventing rebuilding and um you know really their their policy is one of domination and you know if do as we say or we'll make life hell for you and they are doing that what you said about Afghanistan reminded me of a amusing story that happened in Syria not long ago in that uh, one of these jihadi groups complained on Twitter or some kind of social media. They said, the U.S. worked with us to overthrow communism in Afghanistan. They worked with us, al-Qaeda and other groups, and now they're leaving us to hang high and dry. And so they're angry about it. They're saying, we work with you, the United States, against these leftists, and now you've left us to die. And, you know, <laughs> well, anyway. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing quality of research you've done. I mean, you've looked at the, the documents that they tell us are this or that, and you actually review the material and you have looked at what other people have said and studied on this material. And your work on the subject of the Caesar alone goes back years. So uh, as I said, uh, our listeners are very fortunate to have you today. Is there anything with regard to the sanctions that you would recommend in terms of action that people could take or things that people should do with regard to the Syria-related sanctions? Well, I think... uh you know, here in the U.S., we've got our own battle with uh, with the, the White House. But I think it's really on these the question of sanctions. Really, the role of Canada and Europe is going to be crucial. Are the are are Canada is Canada as an independent country going to just roll over and and accept the imposition of sanctions uh, by the U.S.? Are they going to be subverting their own foreign policy? So. I think for Canadians, it's it's really vital that they look at this and and um, they not comply with the sanctions on Syria as as Canada has you know largely not complied with the demands of the U.S. regarding regarding Cuba. Uh, so I I think that the question is whether Europe and Canada and other countries are going to uh, become you know are 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 going to be tools of the U.S. As the, as the U.S. tries to destroy Syria and hurt the Syrian people. Exactly. And fortunately, there are efforts in Canada to redirect or adjust our foreign policy in a healthier direction. And mm. your research contributes to these kind of efforts. So thanks again for being on the program. Thanks for doing the work on the Caesar uh, and the Caesar Act. People should go to American Herald Tribune or wherever and get this article, read about it. Other people are talking about it, too, and I'm glad that the propaganda gets exposed so quickly and easily these days. So mm -hmm. we'll talk later, and uh, again, thanks for being with us today. Nice to be with you, Brandon.